T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Monday, May 7th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we are going to speak to Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America, specifically Tom Porter, their legislative director. Talk to them about this new burn pit legislation that IABA was involved with and has been put forward by Tulsi Gabbard and Brian Mast, two important members of Congress and both Army veterans. We'll talk to them, and we'll talk to Chris White. Chris is the founder of Freedom Hard. Freedom Hard is a fast-growing brand, and a brand that is not just doing one thing. You know how there's t-shirt companies out there, right? Veteran-owned. Veteran-owned coffee companies, veteran-owned whiskey companies, veteran-owned cigar companies. Freedom Hard, they're all of the above, and they're expanding into even more things as we speak. We'll find out all about them from Chris White coming up in just a little bit. But right now, we welcome super producer Jake Hughes to the program. Jake, good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay today, Eric. How are you? Just okay? Yeah. Today's a big day, man. Today's we've got our, our new managing editor working her first day, so the new boss. Uh, also, as we mentioned last week, I move over to... Uh, uh, host the CBS Ion Veterans weekend show, which means, uh, well, if you're listening to this now, Jake was uh, doing everything by himself essentially <laughs> this morning, and that's how it's going to be going forward with all this stuff. But yeah, overall, though, uh, long weekend for you? Yeah, it was uh, it was nice and quiet the way I like weekends. That, that can be a good thing. I'd like a quiet weekend once in a while. I never get them. Well, you have a five-year-old. Yeah, no, and yesterday, man, he was in rare form, so... This weekend was uh, a shopping weekend because my wife, as people who listen regularly over the almost year now, hard to believe that we've been on the air, has these uh, periods of time where she travels a lot for work. And this is one of them. She's been gone, I think, three of the last four weeks, and then she'll be in Los Angeles uh, later this week. So a lot of travel, but she's uh, apparently short on clothes. I've looked in our closet and I find that hard to believe, (laughs) but uh, she's missing. uh, She needed specific things. And so... We went to a mall that was 40 minutes north of where we live, and they didn't have everything she needed. So then we went to a mall 45 minutes an hour south of where we live, all the way down into Virginia, and uh, they had most of what she needed. But with him having to drag him along, we had to bribe him at the first one with a -A Build-A-Bear from the Build-A-Bear workshop. So he got a new teddy bear that wears Spider-Man clothes, so he's very happy about that. Yesterday, uh, we bribed him with being able to... I don't know, go up and down the escalators a lot and have ice cream. (laughs) And then apparently punch and kick me after we finally found a nice place to sit down while we waited for mommy to finish all her stuff. It's just like, oh, God. You got to love how how easily entertained five-year-olds are. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, most of the time. Uh, It's just, you know, getting them. Like, he 
yesterday didn't want to go to that mall because we just went to one yesterday and I'm sitting there like, I hear you. <laughs> I totally understand. But yeah, we went to the mall in Tyson's Corner yesterday and boy, that's a massive place, a massive and confusing place, almost like two separate malls built together. Uh, it, it was a weird one, as was the one up uh, in Maryland that we went to as well. But anyway, taking a look around the world of veteran and military news Oh boy, we had a uh, story that broke on, I guess it was Friday, and Matt Saintson covered it. I did not have anything to do with the story except for the headline that you'll see on our website, which is SEAL Team Sniff, 11 Sailors Popped for Cocaine and Meth. <laughs> uh, yeah, so these uh, SEALs and one support sailor, it looks like, I believe out in San Diego uh, is where this was uh, was taking place. All pop. Nope. Sorry. Absolutely incorrect. It was not in San Diego. See, that's what happens when you're uh, when your Internet's going a little bit slow. So the East Coast Naval Special Warfare Unit, which I believe is at Little Creek, they'll be going back to civilian life. These are 10 enlisted SEALs, one support sailor. Uh, they popped positive on urinalysis. And, you know, there have been sometimes uh, even on our very site where we've had some stories that seem to take shots at some of these special operators who've had some issues that I didn't particularly agree with, uh, one in particular being the uh, member of SEAL Team 6 who is uh, supposed to have been the one who killed Bin Laden, who was apparently got a little bit of a drinking problem and was escorted off of a plane. And, uh, you know, that, that that's the kind of thing that, you know, people have personal demons and stuff mm -hmm. like that, particularly people who have seen uh, things uh, like, like that man is likely seen. This one's a little bit different for me, and I'll tell you why, Jake, and I'm sure you'll agree to some extent, I would think. I was in for 13 years. You were in for 13 years. You ever had to sweat over a urinalysis test? Nope. You ever had to worry that your stream wasn't coming out clean? Nope. Huh. Me neither. It's almost like you, uh, you, you it's a personal choice that people make, and it's something that they do. And in some communities, uh, there are people who certainly probably feel like they're above the law. It would not have surprised me to hear that, like, you know, SEALs and Green Berets and all those guys don't have to do your analysis. Like, yeah. I, you know, that that would be something where I'd be like, OK, yeah, I kind of I kind of almost expect that that would happen. Um, so there were uh, a lot of issues surrounding this. And, and there were people who, you know, saw our story and were like, oh, you know, so what, these are SEALs. They deserve your respect. And once they pop positive on your analysis. Uh, that's an extreme disappointment, and uh, what they did prior to that point deserves respect, but you need to be able to delineate between yeah, the two. Yeah, and again, this isn't like they smoked a little marijuana. This is hard drugs, cocaine, and methamphetamines. Yeah, uh, the meth thing, that one is interesting because some people uh, use that not as a means to just be high, but as a means to stay awake, and in that community specifically, uh, their, their sleep schedules are all messed up, so that's... As odd as it sounds, these guys doing meth, I can almost understand it. Cocaine? Mm, not, no. I don't see any way that you can verify and validate that. Uh, also, meth, I was seeing some people say uh, sometimes, and we saw comments like this on our Facebook page, we're at Connecting Vets if you want to check out stories like this one and others. There are people that say things like, well, meth can often show up and it's really steroids or it's this that can pop up there. And I believe that uh, I, I, I am confident that steroid usage is uh, rampant particularly within uh, certain communities in the military yep. uh, you know it's it's a fact and it's something that 
You know what? Those are not uh, drugs that typically tend to affect your cognitive abilities. So if you want to do that to your own body, hey, you go right ahead. That's how I feel about those. You know, you hear that argument all the time. You hear it about uh, uh, professional athletes as well. Like, hey, I want my baseball players hitting 900-foot home runs. I don't feel the same way about that. But again, if if it's their choice to do it, it's their choice to do it. Uh, and, and in these communities, if it makes you uh, better at being a, a ranger, a green beret, a seal, whatever, then, hey, more power to you, man, if you want to do that stuff. Um, but what they did test positive for, apparently, was meth and cocaine. These are random uh, urinalysis tests that were conducted between March and April. Uh, and basically, according to this, according to a report that came out on May 3rd, these results triggered a wave of investigations by Naval Special Warfare Center. Basically, didn't think that they had a problem, although there have been people who said that recently. If you spoke up about drug use, illegal drug use within the SEAL community, it was a career killer, that it would get you, not the person who was doing the drugs. CBS uh, actually did a report on this about a year ago, last April, and there were SEALs that said uh, exactly that. Speaking up against illegal drug use would harm you more than the person who was actually doing the drugs. Um, and so- I I understand. Well, okay. I got to be careful how I word this. Part of me understands <laughs> that because this is a community where you need to be up and alert at all hours of the day on doing very specific missions. And so... I understood. I understand at least the concept that they wanted. They don't want you to interfere with the most elite fighters in the country, especially if they don't have don't have enough of them. But at the same time, hard drugs. There's never an excuse for that. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it it would appear it's it's hard to say because uh, they they don't have all the details in this. But if these guys weren't operational at the time, they weren't on deployment at the time they were doing this stuff, they were stateside and just partying is what it sounds like. Um, could I be wrong about that? Mm, yeah, but that's that's kind of the what they're leading you to, to read between the lines on here. The statement from uh, Naval Special Warfare Center is, we have a zero tolerance policy for the use of illicit drugs, and as such, these individuals will be held accountable for their actions. We are confident in our drug testing procedures and will continue to impress on all members of the command that illicit drugs are incompatible with the SEAL ethos and naval service. So, you know, again, it doesn't matter what your rate or your MOS for those in other branches is. There are certain things that whoever you are, whether you're an admiral, a general, a private, a seaman recruit, it doesn't matter. There are certain things that if you get caught doing them, you will be gone. And this is absolutely one of them. And we're not the only people who have uh, have been thinking this way about it because I was looking, and I'm searching for it right now, uh, that one of the legendary members of the SEAL community, Jocko Willink, who's a retired commander in the SEAL community, um, you know, talking about this and saying how disappointed he was and, and basically that... You know, this is something that is just unacceptable. And this is coming from someone who's within that community, of course, has the ability to speak about everything that they do uh, a little bit more. Um, To to me, one of the other things, and this is a bit of an intangible thing, is that if you're a SEAL or a Green Beret or whatever, you're supposed to be like the elite. You're supposed to be the most professional, the most capable person 
in the military and you're the person that people look up to you're supposed to like like common like infantry soldiers who think take a lot of pride in their work will look at green beret and be like whoa green beret or a ranger or a seal so if you're doing this it's like you're failing not just yourself you're failing the system that you have dedicated your life to and here's here's some of the things that uh jocko willink was saying uh for, for he had things pointed out to him that he wasn't aware of uh, apparently, there are some amphetamines available to the military, saying I didn't use them. He didn't use coffee or Copenhagen either. Red Bull was his thing. That's what he got on there. Uh, and, it, and it touched off a conversation with him and uh, several other people about addiction um, and, you know, how with drugs, initially it's a choice. Then after that, it can become uh, very much uh, not a choice. Your body just needs it, essentially. Uh, and he's saying, you know, he agrees with that and stay clean. He's saying he's watched addiction destroy lives, but he's also saying, you know, it's very disappointing. Here you go. Jocko Willink on Twitter, at Jocko Willink. As I always say, being a SEAL does not make someone a good person or a moral person or a good leader or a non-drug user. There are bad apples. Here is a batch. And there's the thing, you know, where he says about that. So uh, it's very true. Listen, within every community, no matter how vaunted, how respected every community is going to have its bad apples in it. And the Navy SEALs are no different. You know, there have been yeah, and uh, I, previous scandals, too. This is not the first time that something's gone wrong in the SEAL community. Yeah, and I think part of this breaks the mystique that they have. If You know what I'm talking about, how they're, like you said, they're so vaunted. They're so, you know, mythicized at some point, like that these are, like I said earlier, that these are the ultimate warriors in the U.S. military, and it to this shows that no, no, they're they're just human beings like you and me. Yeah, no, they absolutely are. I mean, they are, they're people. They're highly trained people, capable of doing things that very few are. Uh, that's really what they're all about. Um, it's, it, but this is, you know, I think I think you're absolutely right there that the uh, mythology, the mythos built up around the special operations community is. Uh, sometimes very helpful to them. Sometimes it's, it's harmful to them. And in this case, this could be a case of where these 10 SEALs and that one support sailor uh, who's part of their unit. And for those who don't know how the SEAL teams work, so you have your operators, but then you also have people like Yeoman, the, the guys who do the paperwork, because ain't no SEALs going to Yeoman yeah. school. For, you, know, you don't go to Yeoman school for six months and then go to BUDS after that. Uh, actually, it changed... While I was in the military, it changed how that whole thing worked, where when I went through, you left boot camp, uh, you had to try out, essentially, you had to pass a, a physical readiness test type of thing uh, and some other stuff at, at boot camp at Great Lakes, and then you would go to your A school to learn your job. Now, if you were going to be a SEAL, that was your job, but there were only certain rates that were available to the SEALs. There were like corpsmen. The one that I knew was photographer's mate because I went same school, defense information school, where journalists and photographers go to school together uh, and then eventually would get merged so that there was no difference between the two. We had some people who planned to go to Bud's after that, some of whom I looked at and was like, really? You? <laughs> okay. Hmm. I didn't know too many who, uh, who made it through there. But uh, they changed it eventually where uh, to become uh, a SEAL, that was its rate, its own rate essentially uh it's uh, so special warfare operator and they would go straight from boot camp to buds essentially is what they would go do so that changed i mean during my time in the military sometime between 98 and 2011 uh so i would say 
probably somewhere around like the 2005-ish time frame, around the time that I got to recruiting. Uh, that's a coincidence, by the way. It wasn't because <laughs> I got to recruiting. So, you know, there's a, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, there are these commands out there within each branch of the service. The PJs, the Marine Recon and the Marine Raiders, the Green Berets and the Battalion Rangers, the Navy SEALs, the EODs, the SWICs, these commands that have uh, you know, been featured in, in the media, featured in movies, featured in everything, and, and grown to be larger than life, uh, particularly in the last 17 years or so. Oh, definitely. Um, but these are just soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines at the basic ground level with an incredible amount of training who have shown a type of fortitude that many, if not most, do not have. Uh, but they're just people and they do, uh, they do bad things. They do good things. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking to that command that it would be on this level where you'd have 10 people doing something like this. But overall, I mean, you know, that's, that's happened at almost every command in the, in the Navy. It's just kind of surprising to hear it happening at a seal command. So there's another thing on our website. You can of course find that story right up on the top of our website. It's the main story. This one coming from R. Lee Ermey. The recently deceased. Oh, our own Chaz Henry, who uh, hosts the uh, the I, CBS I Am Veterans minutes that air around the country throughout the week and on the weekends, used to work in Los Angeles for the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps had this office of Hollywood operations, for lack of a better term. <laughs> like I don't know, you know, we will infiltrate Hollywood, Semper Fi, do or die, go Marine Corps. They had that. He worked out there, and he worked with people like Dale Dye, who we've had on the show before, who I need to speak to again, by the way. That movie we talked to Dale Dye about a few months ago, he's got funding for it now. Oh, really? And he's got Tom Hanks on to executive produce, which is uh, usually a very, very good sign. So uh, he was stationed in Hollywood, and Chaz's mission there was to encourage positive portrayals of the Marine Corps in movies and on TV. So they had seen uh, Lee Ermey and movies and stuff like that. The Boys and Company C, Apocalypse Now, and then, of course, Full Metal Jacket came out in 1988. I remember it because I remember the poster in the movie theater of the uh, the helmet with Born to Kill and the peace yep. sign on it from, of course, from the favorites. Favorite, favorite, the famous scene with Private Joker and the Colonel who's in there. But um, it had come out and... Chaz sat down with Lee Ermey in a Los Angeles recording studio and they recorded him doing voiceover elements that were going to be used in videos Chaz was producing for Marine Corps birthday celebrations. Here's the thing. They never used him. This audio has never been heard anywhere else. Chaz found those and they're up on our website now. Wow. So you can actually go listen to our Lee Ermey reciting the Marine Corps verse of the hymn eternal father and uh we're going to talk to chaz about that hopefully later on this week um and see if we can get his his recollections of that time and of arlie ermy who is a fascinating guy i mean i saw some tweets out there when he passed away where you know there were those people like boy you know it's kind of funny to see ermy remembered as this lovable old marine when you know he's been very open about the fact that he uh owned some maybe less than legal establishments in like okinawa <laughs> uh, years and years ago um, that uh, catered to the military service members. But, you know, over the years, this is a guy who started off really making his, uh, his name known in Full Metal Jacket, that character of Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, uh, the Marine Corps uh, drill instructor at Paris Island, was I, I'm a career-making film. I mean, he essentially was playing Gunny Hartman for the rest of his life. Yeah. And, of course, the story about that is that he was brought on as an advisor 
by Stanley Kubrick for the guy who they had hired to play the drill instructor before they ever shot anything with the guy they'd hired to play it. They were like, no, this, this guy's so much better at it. Let's have him in there. And it's, uh, the, you know, the part of the movie that most people remember the Paris Island scenes, the part where they go to Vietnam and they, uh, uh, the, the attack on way city and all that stuff, the battle of way, not as well remembered as the Arlie Ermey boot yep. camp scenes. And how could they be? My God, he was hilarious. When he, uh, when he passed away, you know, Duffelblog did a story about how uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, the actor who played um, Gomer Pyle, yeah. would now finally be able to sleep. Uh, and it had <laughs> quotes from him like, now I'll be able to go to sleep. I kept worrying that you would show up at my door. Uh, Matthew Modine, who played Private Joker, uh, apparently didn't know that Duffel Blog was satire. Oh. Yeah, he there was a whole Twitter thing where he's telling him, like, you know, that's not funny, and blah, blah, blah. They're like, no, it is funny, and this is a military satire blog, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he almost, Matthew Bodine almost went down a dangerous path. You could see it, like, you know, not not knowing that Paul Zoldrin and the folks over at Duffel Blog are all military and or veterans themselves. Uh, you could kind of see that it was just going down the way where you could see Matthew Medin being like, you know, he was a Marine and you should, but, but, but. well, Paul Zoldrin was a Marine too. So <laughs> there you go. What are you going to do? Um, you know, one of those interesting things where a guy who, uh, for Marines in particular, you know, the gunny, Arlie Army, of course, wasn't a gunny during his time in the Marine Corps. I think he got out as a sergeant or a staff, staff sergeant, sergeant and was, uh, and was promoted, uh, you know, he's one of those honorary gunnery sergeants, which is rare. And you know, he was afforded that rank and that respect, uh, which is a fantastic thing. You see that in the Navy, too. And it's even more rare because of how uh, the chief petty officer community, I guess you could call it, their, their secret society, the way that it works. Just because it's so hard to get promoted to chief petty officer. Yeah, it is. It is. There's a whole, there's a whole process you have to go through. I went through it a few times, never quite made it. The last time I was eligible, I was, was after I'd already been told that I was going home and, you know, I've told the story many times. Uh, so my only chance to stay in the Navy was to be promoted to chief. I just decided, I was like, eh, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> and I didn't even put in the package, which I've had people since then tell me, like, wait a second, you were coming from Afghanistan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you had this, 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 and this. Yeah, 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 Oh, you would have made it. I'm like, yeah, maybe. But I didn't really, didn't really want to at that point. I, just yeah. kinda, I was just kind of done. And the whole experience and the way that things came to an end, it rubbed me the wrong way. But what are you going to do? So, uh, you know, there are a lot of great stories and news items over at our site, ConnectingVets.com. Of course, you've got the names of those nine airmen from the Puerto Rican Air National Guard killed in that WC-130 crash. Still just a horrifying thing that happened. The f I mean, so many horrifying aspects of it. One, it seems that the majority of that Air National Guard unit's senior enlisted were on board that flight because it was kind of an honorary flight. They were taking that C-130 to be retired, and this is an aircraft that had been with these airmen for a long time. And it seems like, I mean, when you look through it, it as master sergeant, master sergeant, master sergeant, senior master sergeant, one senior airman on there was uh, by far the lowest ranking person. Uh, and of course the pilots and co-pilots who were all officers, it seemed that they wanted to be there to bring this, uh, this plane home, essentially bring it back to where it was going to be decommissioned. And of course, uh, many people have probably seen that video of the plane going down. Yeah, which, and it's, it's horrifying. It is. And it, it, even more so, I would imagine, for those of us like uh, like you and me who've spent time in a C-130 and can just imagine what that... I mean, you can't really imagine what it must feel like, but 
Oh boy, just yeah. to have been inside. This weekend, I had a friend of mine on the internet who was uh, consider who's considering joining the military, and he made the comment to me that, "Well, yeah, but if you're not combat arms and you don't deploy, the military is not that dangerous, right?" And I told him, mm. "No, this it is a dangerous job. You never know. You could." be fine i mean there's plenty of people that have been hurt in training accidents and things like this happen and right. i mean you can look at the navy when you're out to sea on a ship some people think like oh yeah you know they may run air operations or they may fire missiles and launch uh, or artillery or whatever we don't have many ships that really do that those guns are at this point they're more for show than anything yeah. else the guns on the ships but um there are fires on board ships. Uh, look at the uh, the fire that involved the USS Forrestal in Vietnam, If you, and there's video of it, which is, they show you that at Great Lakes. You sit there and you watch that as it happened, and you go like, oh my God. And it's essentially, that was before the Navy put such an emphasis on firefighting, and you've already gone through some firefighting classes at that point, and you know what you should and shouldn't do when you start seeing things like, oh, they put a triple F on the, on the fire, which is aqueous film forming foam. It forms a film. Aqueous film forming foam forms a film over the fire that cuts it off from air and kills it that way. And then another hose team comes in and sprays that with water. Well, when you wash away the foam on top, guess what? No longer a seal. The air gets it's they just did everything wrong. I mean, yeah, every aspect of the military is dangerous. And you know what the most dangerous thing on to, to every member of the military is? What's that? The weekend. We uh, lose yes. more people on the weekend <laughs> than we lose uh, than we've lost in battle over the last yeah, few years. Yeah, just people you know? drunk driving or reckless driving on a motorcycle and oh, it's just God, it's yeah. sad. You know. People, uh, people crashing into walls and all sorts of stuff, uh, drinking too much, drugs, stupid things. Uh, we had a guy almost die in Guam because he tried to jump from a balcony to a palm tree because he thought that was a good idea. May or may not have been some alcohol involved in that. No alcohol involved in this show. Of course not. It's a Monday morning at this hour. Are you kidding me? <laughs> My goodness. It's Eric Damon. JQ is here. We will be back in just a moment. We've got Tom Porter from IAVA and then... Coming up in just a little bit after that, Chris White, CEO of Freedom Heart. Stick around. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing here at Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. That's in our slogan because it's what we do, and we do it through a variety of platforms. Of course, we have the website, which has stories, audio, video, and social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. little click on your mouse, little tap on your phone, and you are going to be living your best veteran life. Getting the information that you need to know, the information that you should know, and some information that you might want to know. Like my story from a couple days ago about Monsters Among Us, veteran serial killers. Did you know that Jeffrey Dahmer served in the United States Army? And get ready for this. Creepiest part, he was a medic. There are people who probably had their blood drawn by Jeffrey Dahmer before he started killing people. 
Yeah, let that rattle around inside your head for just a moment. So give us a follow, at Connecting Bets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. That's the best way to be kept up to date on what we're doing. And, of course, at least 10, 15 times a day, go check out ConnectingVets.com, where you're going to find us talking to an amazing variety of veterans doing an amazing variety of things, including our next guest. His name is Chris White, and he is the CEO of Freedom Hard. Chris, good morning, and welcome to the Morning Briefing. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Still doing well after I told you about Jeffrey Dahmer being a medic in the Army? I'm not so sure how to, how to receive that, actually. <laughs> that's, that's some new information for me and a lot of people. Now, let's give people some information on you. Who is Chris White? Where are you from? When did you join? And what did you do while you were in? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm a Houston, Texas born born and raised uh, out here in Texas. I uh, I joined the Marines back in 2004 and just did my four years and got out. So I got out January 2008. My uh, <laughs> I was always in the right place at the wrong time for for my military service. My 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 trade, what my military occupational specialty was traffic management, but I never really ended up doing it. Um, Basically, when I went overseas to go to uh, Okinawa, Japan, I got uh, attached to a whole bunch of different uh, detail stuff that was happening, just just being in the right place at the wrong time. And I did anything from uh, auxiliary security forces, basically a support function to back up the military police in the event of like a riot would would happen, um, to traffic, uh, basically uh, customs and immigration, safety, um, and then I went and got stationed over in Paris Island for my last year and a half. And uh, when I checked in, I didn't really have much experience doing my MOS. And so they basically put me doing other detail um, stuff over in uh, Paris Island. So where I would go back and forth and teaching Marines on how to shoot different weapons on the rifle range and stuff like that. Wow. So really a, a varied career. And one of those things that we hear from a lot of people who served that joined up to do one thing, get their MOS or their rating, whatever the case may be, and then end up kind of doing a variety of other things and never really working within their job. Sounds like that was the case with you. Uh, think back to the time after those four years come to an end, your transition from the Marine Corps to the veteran world to civilian life. What was that like for you? What do you remember most about that period of time? Very, very different from anyone that I've ever met in terms of comparing or contrasting my experience to theirs. So, you know, when I left, I left South Carolina, I remember driving back to Texas, literally only knowing one thing about what my future was. And that was, I was going to do anything, but go back into the Marine Corps again. <laughs> and so I had not a clue as to what, uh, you know, what was in front of me, what I was going to do. Um, so I went back to Texas and had not a clue about the veteran community or support system or even the VA or anything like that. I didn't know anything like that. Um, and so I did what pretty much 50% of, uh, probably anyone leaving the service that comes back to the state of Texas, especially Houston is you basically go into the medical field or you go into the, the energy industry. And so, since we're both the medical and the oil capital of the world, that's pretty much your two biggest platforms to, to find yourself uh, in. So, so I continued doing my education, and uh, I found myself working in the, in the oil field, basically, as I was uh, continuing my undergrad and then, um, and then uh, starting, starting my career within the, the energy industry over here um, until I finished my MBA. 
it wasn't until after I finished my MBA tour, actually, I started getting involved into the veteran community and actually discovering what the veteran community was all about. And ironically enough, Houston is known as the number two city across the entire United States for having such a dominant um, presence within the veteran community. Wow. And that's really interesting stuff. And it's, it's, it's often the case, it seems, that those who serve sometimes need a little bit of break from being around those people that they served with, where it might take a couple of years before they want to, I don't know, maybe join a VSO like the Legion, the VFW, AMVETS or something like that, or just get involved with, uh, with the veteran charities that are out there and the things that they're doing. Is that kind of how it was for you? Did you need, after four years of being a hard-charging, gung-ho Marine, did you need a little bit of separation from that military time when you got out? I don't know if it was a matter of need or just found myself separated from the environment as a whole. I just was focused on myself and my career for a good six, seven years or so uh, and, and, and just focused on that and didn't really have anything else that came into the picture, whether you labeled it as a distraction or, or anything like that. I mean, I just focused on myself and uh, and really just kind of, you know, uh, you know, moved full speed ahead to, to do some of the things that I wanted to do before I started to get involved. I, I guess it was kind of by accident, um, attending some, some luncheons, um, and started to figure out, Oh, there's a whole bunch of Marine veterans out there. I didn't even call myself a veteran for quite some, some time, actually. In fact, that was a term that was what I perceived as if, if you called yourself a veteran, I was thinking Vietnam era you know, before I called myself a veteran, something like that. Right. So it, it took some time for me to get familiar with some of the language and the fact that there's, there's literally another version of me and my counterparts right around the corner from just about every corner in Houston, you know? Yeah, and really a, a variety of the veteran population that includes the Vietnam vets, the Korean vets, the World War II vets who've gone through everything that we've gone through just decades earlier that are really uh, a great place for you to be able to draw information and experience from. We're speaking with Chris White, former Marine and current CEO of Freedom Hard. Now, Chris, when you think back on that time and you think back of any different difficulties that you had, any struggles that you had. If there is, you know, a young Marine soldier, sailor, airman, Coastie, who's finishing up their first tour and deciding to get out, what's the biggest piece of advice you think you could give them about preparing to move into the, the civilian world? Uh, my biggest piece of advice would be something along the lines of don't think that you have to find your next step within your career right away. Uh, it's okay to take some time to figure it out. I went through quite a bit of time on my own, just going through your typical trial and error, figuring mostly what I did not want to do versus what it was that I wanted to do. I had to, I had to make a couple of wrong turns along the way and say, okay, this is not for me. This is definitely what I don't want to do. And that's okay. I guess it's, it's too easy to be discouraged by going through two or three iterations of those and figuring out, man, I'm just struggling too much. And I missed the, I missed the military life too much. Well, that's not necessarily the case. So many of us go through so many of those wrong turns just to figure out what it is that we don't want to do. And just, that's just a part of life sometimes. And it was definitely a part of my, uh, my history and my path, uh, just to figure out what, what it is that you don't want to do. And so my biggest piece of advice would be like, something along the lines of saying, look, you don't have to, you don't have to figure out what your next step is right away. It's okay to take some time to figure that out. 
Certainly good advice there that, you know, there is no rush. And I know it seems like a lot of people after spending, you know, maybe four years in the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, they get out and they, they feel like they're behind the eight ball, you know, that they're somehow behind those who went directly into college. And we, we've been talking about this over the last, well, several months about how you kind of gain things in the military that can be useful for you in the civilian world that uh, somebody went straight into college out of high school and doesn't have. Is that something you'd agree with? Oh, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. You know, when I got out, um, most of my my uh, my peers that I knew from, you know, high school, I guess, uh, were already either finishing up their, their undergrad or getting close to finish even their, their master's degree. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm only... <laughs> I'm only just around the corner from my associates at this time. I better, I better, you know, double down and, and figure out how to cross that finish line much faster than, than my, my previous pace was to catch up to them. But, you know, it's, it's a different path. Uh, you come from a different, uh, a different path and whether you get, you collide with them uh, to being on par with them down the road or not. I mean, it's, it's, it's really irrelevant and we get caught up too much trying to compare ourselves to our peers when you've already differentiated yourself from your peers a long time before then, whenever you decided to, to sign on that, that dotted line. So uh, it's too easy to get caught up on trying to get, trying to play catch up for wherever your previous peers are uh, in time, whenever you, you turn in your, your uniform, you know? Well, and it sounds like you've caught up pretty well. I mean, you were just telling us about earning your MBA. And, of course, as I've mentioned, Chris White is the CEO of Freedom Hard. So, Chris, tell us about the journey to Freedom Hard and where that really began in earnest and how you got to where you are now with the company. Yeah, it, uh, so it basically is a byproduct of how um, I was able to turn some negative experiences into some significant motivation. So uh, 2016, for me personally, uh, came to a crashing halt. Um, let's see, November 17, 2016, I was basically stabbed in the back by my business partner at the time, which was six weeks before I was supposed to get married. And 30 hours before I was supposed to get married, my fiance and her two kids decided to, to leave, leave Texas and drive back to South Carolina because she decided she didn't want to get married. And so there I was uh, pretty much in one of my darkest hours figuring out, okay, um, life isn't really turning out to be the way that I thought it was supposed to be with my current situation. And so I basically ran away to Mexico on a one-way ticket, spent just under two weeks there came back and then I, I spent uh, about six weeks drinking all the alcohol from the wedding that I paid for that never took place. <laughs> and one buddy of mine said, Chris, you need to, you need to pull your head out of your ass basically. And, and, um, you know, I think you should, I, should, I think you should get into marketing and I don't come from a marketing background and I didn't really know what he meant by that, but I kind of sat on it for about three or four days. And one day, one night, uh, February 28th last year, I was in front of my computer and I said, okay, I'm going to create a brand. And that brand is now known as Freedom Hard. And tell the people who don't know what Freedom Hard is exactly what you guys are about, because there are a lot of veteran-owned companies out there who seem to be very specialized that focus on one thing. Freedom Hard seems to be uh, dipping some toes in quite a few pools. Oh, absolutely. So while most of I mean, people say the word competitor. These guys aren't really my competitors, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. So Freedom Heart is not known as a product. You know, we don't, we don't specialize in a product. We have, we have a bunch of products, but Freedom Heart will always be known as a brand. It's a brand that stands for using humor as a platform to display patriotism. And so 
why humor is because humor is very therapeutic. It's a coping mechanism that anyone can use to at least get through whatever struggles they might be going through. It doesn't matter if you're a veteran. It doesn't matter if you're a civilian or not, whether you suffer from post-traumatic stress, isolation, loneliness, uh, family issues, drug overdose, alcoholism. It doesn't matter. If I can make you laugh for five, ten minutes, at least for that five, ten minutes, your mind is in a better place than in whatever dark hole you might have found yourself into being. And if I can use that by also gearing it towards using it to uh, display patriotism, then to me, it's the ultimate win-win. So a lot of the brand content that you might find uh, on social media, for example, is usually something that's very uh, hilarious, right? It'll be something that makes you laugh, but it's also very patriotic in nature. Along the way, we've also commercialized some products, anything from any, any kind of apparel items to cigars, coffee, beard oil, and then we're about two weeks out from commercializing our own whiskey line as well. Oh, wow. So really uh, getting involved in all sorts of aspects of the business world. Uh, what's been the biggest hurdle for you as coming into this? Uh, as you said, you have your MBA, you, you did the schoolwork, then you actually get involved in starting this company kind of on your own. What's been the biggest hurdle for you? What was the most difficult part of starting Freedom Heart? I think the starting point itself was was the hardest point. I'm, uh, so my background is I, I'm very used to working in corporate America. So I climbed the corporate ladder uh, all the way from the ground level to senior management through executive managing uh, multi-million dollar budgets, uh, being in charge of an entire department of 41 people, uh, where it's if the way that you wanted to look at that was something very mature that I then became in charge of. So I didn't really have to create something from, from the ground up for me to own, as opposed to Freedom Hard. There was literally nothing whenever I said, okay, I'm now going to step into the realm of being an entrepreneur and I'm going to create something from absolutely nothing. I always found myself in a position landing into something that already created and then I was in a position to make it a little bit more efficient and better. But for whenever I started Freedom Hard, there was nothing that existed, literally nothing at all. And I had to build it from the ground up. And so it's a lot of risk. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a significant amount of risk because I, I put my, my heart and soul into it and, and a whole bunch of other things as well. So there was nothing that I could shape and then start to tell people this is what I'm trying to do. I mean, I, I'm literally holding my hands up and there's nothing there uh, whenever I started February 28th last year. And so you know, taking on the uh, the lifestyle of an entrepreneur, building something from the ground up, you really have a whole bunch of naysayers. You have a whole bunch of people say, you know, this, I don't know, you know, you're trying to enter a saturated market. I don't see how this is going to be successful. So you, you, n you not only have to start something from nothing, you actually don't really have too much support uh, in your corner as well whenever you embark on this new venture, you know. Absolutely. And and that is something that we've heard from several veteran entrepreneurs who've gone out there and started things on their own and, and in some cases have actually had fits and starts. You know, they tried something and it didn't work out. They had to adapt and overcome, go back to the drawing board. Uh, what would you say your experience has been with Freedom Heart? I mean, were you uh, have you been pretty lucky since starting it or have there been those kind of you know big roadblocks that you needed to figure out a way around? Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 it's the best and the, and the worst of both worlds, actually. So there's been some partnerships in the beginning that it, 
they, you know, I looked at him like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm already getting this opportunity. And then it turned out to not be a good fit for whatever reason. And that's both good and bad on my part, good and bad on their part as well. It just, for whatever reason, didn't work out. And then, then I've been very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to where I'm already in a position with less than one year after being incorporated to where I have, um, you know, my own coffee line, my own cigar line, and we're two weeks out from having my own whiskey line. And whenever I have these type of conversations with other people, they're thinking, wait, you only incorporated how long ago? And, it, you know, when they hear that it's been less than a year and they're like, holy crap, this is this is incredible. How, how are you already up to this level already? And so, um, you know, it, it it's it's not it's all it's not all, you know, positive things. It's, it's a whole bunch of negative experiences that we had to go through, a whole bunch of lessons learned, best practices. Uh, there were some some bridges that had to be burned, of course. And then um, that's also a credit to being able to adapt and overcome. Being able to manage change is probably the biggest component of, of everything that's kind of led up to this point. So, um yeah, I mean it's it's not all it's not all <laughs> unicorns and 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 nice roses uh, basically uh, along the way. I mean, from someone to look at the brand and and look through the lenses of just what you see on social media, you might think that, but behind the scenes, it's it's way more complex than that. It certainly is, and that's certainly something you know. I, I hear you talking about the ability to adapt to change, the ability to figure that out. How important do you think your ability to draw on your time in the Marine Corps has been in functioning as a CEO and looking at things like that? I mean, every Marine, every sailor, soldier, airman knows you have a plan, and then the first thing that happens when you make contact with any opposition is that plan goes completely into the trash. So uh, how much do you draw on your military experience, do you think, in your position as CEO? It's a hundred percent, not 99.9. It's a hundred percent. And I'll tell you this. I was not known to be somebody to one, join the military or to even go to college before I went into the Marines. In fact, whenever I told everybody I'm joining the military, the Marines of all branches, everyone didn't even take me seriously. They're like, yeah, right, whatever. And then I was on record numerous times before then saying, I'm not the guy that's going to go to college. And then now I have an MBA. All this is credit to my time in the Marines, and the answer is is basically because of this. Whenever I said, okay, I'm going into the Marines, that was the epitome of me stepping 100% out of my comfort zone. And so now I find myself more and more often living outside of the realm which you would label as my comfort zone, and I'm becoming more and more comfortable doing it. So I have to credit 100% of that to me joining the Marines because – that was the first step of me finding a way to step out of my comfort zone and being okay with it. We're speaking with Chris White. Chris served in the United States Marine Corps, now serves as the CEO of Freedom Hard, a relatively new brand that's expanded in great ways since it started and rather quickly. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Chris, is the fact that you guys are are tied to several charities. In fact, you give a dollar from every bag of coffee that you sell to uh, a, a nonprofit organization, which, you know, that that's fantastic. And that's something that I certainly support. But from a business standpoint, particularly as a new company, uh, how much how how important was it to you to be associated with those nonprofits to know that you're giving you know some of your profit to them? Uh, it's it's extremely important, and I'll I'll tell you the reasoning why, and it's because you know uh, the number two commodity in the world right now is coffee, and that's no, that's number two next to only oil. So 
considering how many people out there that drink coffee, you then have to take into consideration how many coffee companies are out there. And there's an endless amount of us. And then it's even more complicated than that. Uh, the consumer is very loyal to the types of coffee that they actually drink. It's very hard to get someone to change their mind on that. And so one, so you take that and you put it on the back burner and you think, okay, I've now stumbled across uh, a potential business opportunity for me to get into the coffee arena. And I thought, okay, I can't just stand on my coffee table and wave my, my arms in the air and say, Hey, freedom hard now has coffee. Come try it. It's not going to be good enough. And so I always had to find a way to make my business model extremely unique, but also impactful enough to where people can hear about Freedom Hard Coffee and want to uh, take the risk of, of, you know, basically avoiding whoever they're loyal to uh, in terms of their coffee uh, company before me. So the the idea came up with, uh, you know, I could partner with these nonprofits and then I could allow them to receive a dollar per uh, bag of coffee that's allowed by the consumer. So for the consumer to go to freedomhard.com, you get the selection, not me. It's not me that says, hey, $1 per every bag of coffee goes to this nonprofit. You get the selection, the flexibility of identifying which nonprofit you want the $1 to go to, which is kind of unheard of. But also the other side of the coin is I allow these six um, nonprofit organizations to help me market the product, right? So if I strategically place them all over the United States by vetting them first, then everybody helps me market the product and then I become six people all at once. Wow, really, a lot goes into this. And that's why you've got your MBA, Chris White, CEO of Freedom Hard, uh, a Marine who has moved into uh, really a bunch of businesses here all wrapped into one, dealing with coffee, dealing with apparel, dealing with cigars. And you just mentioned uh, whiskey is is soon to come for you. So what is the future of Freedom Hard? You've had, you've had so much success with Freedom Hard in such a relatively short period of time. Where do you see things going from here? And do you have anything that's on the horizon that you can tell us about absolutely um so the future is definitely bright for freedom hard and it comes in kind of twofold uh one is the more important reason which i'll label it as this i want freedom hard to be known as the brand that reinvigorated patriotism for america and if you look at those words that i chose i chose them very carefully and nowhere in that statement did i say something about becoming a $100 million organization or selling a whole bunch of products. If my brand is recognized in five, 10 years from now as the brand that reinvigorated patriotism, that is the ultimate holy grail for me. That means I would gladly take that and sacrifice anybody buying any of our products because that's what that's not what we're about. We are a brand, not a product. And so in doing that, we have to get the brand out there. By doing that, you have to, you know, dish out products, commercialize new ones. And so what's, what's, what's on the horizon for Freedom Heart is we're going to be opening up a whole bunch of brick and mortars, but it's not just going to be your typical, uh, your typical company that you see in like a strip center or something like that. What we want to do is open up uh, coffee, whiskey, and cigar lounges to where if you are a patriot, it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or not, but if you're a patriot, you support patriotism, you support the Constitution, you support veterans, military first responders, you can come into this establishment and hang out and feel a sense of pride within your country and also relax a bit and share some more stories, share some uh, some cool ideas and sit around and lounge, basically, while we have uh, some, cool, some, some cool products that you can partake in, like smoking some cool cigars, drinking some whiskey or, or drinking coffee, but you can also purchase some apparel items as well. 
you know, it's one of those things that we've talked to people about and, and putting together a space where people can come together, veterans and patriots and everyone else, uh, that can often be the biggest thing, just getting those people in a room together. And it sounds like that is what the plan is for Chris White, former Marine, current CEO of Freedom Hard. Now, Chris, if people are interested in finding out more about Freedom Hard, where can they go? Are you guys on social media? You got a website? Tell us where to go to find out more about the brand. Oh, absolutely. Just about any social media platform. If you just type in Freedom Hard, you'll see uh, you'll see the logos pop up there. But anyone can also go get uh, a pretty good, uh, solid understanding if they just go to freedomhard.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 